Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the Beer Ladies podcast, and my name is Sarah. I'm your host today, and this week we're talking to Christina and Lisa about alewives, witchcraft, and economics, and hopefully a spooky story or two thrown in for good measure, as it is, of course, the spookiest of spooky holidays, Halloween. But first, what are we drinking tonight, ladies? Excellent question. I'll go first. I have the Burning Sky Tail... uh... Tail crush, yes, it is tail crush. This is their table beer, so uh, only about three percent. Good for a good for a school night, as it were. So uh, they're they're a British brewery. I've heard a lot of good things about, and and so far so good. Really, uh, really very much enjoying this. So recommend. Oh, nice. Good. That sounds good. I I'm I'm following up with that with also a low ABV one. So I'm I was at Dungarv and I did a brewery tour, um, and then Claire was just so nice gave me a to-go box and um one of the, one of the beers my to-go box is is this session pale ale Beautiful. um also a lower abv one 3.8 percent so yeah great first school night <laughs> so yeah Sounds what are you good. drinking sarah i have the ulster black oatmeal stout from brehan brew house oh lovely um it says it's five percent picked this up last weekend Ooh. just felt like it it just feels like <laughs> isn't today the first day of fall yes autumnal equinox today yep. so exactly. well the day that we're recording this the day that we're say. recording yes yeah. when this drops we'll be full into probably freezing rain and all, all that good stuff Wind. oh yeah fun fall stuff <laughs> So just to reintroduce ourselves, because it's still a very new podcast, uh, if we want to go around and just say a little bit about each other. Sure, I'll dive in. So my name is Lisa. Although I work in tech, my background is in archaeology and archives. I write about beer history for people who will pay me and occasionally very nicely for people who don't want to pay me yet. But usually I wait for people to pay me. But I will hand over to Christina, who's, who's got way more degrees in this than I have. I've only got the two. She's got more. <laughs> Well, yeah, piled higher and piled <laughs> higher and deeper, as they say. Um, so, so I have a doctorate in in history and a master's in history as well. Medieval history is my specialty, particularly death and burial. But since I finished my doctorate, I've been working on writing a book about the history, beer history in Ireland, and I write about beer for fun um, on my website, and um, yeah, also talk about it on this podcast. Gosh, is there any other kind of writing about beer? Can you write about beer for not fun? I don't know. Uh, yeah, we're going to go deep into economic history, but it's going yes. to be fun. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about economics, but <laughs> economics is actually quite fun. Yes. It's going to be fun. Just very quickly, my name is Sarah, and 
I'm a digital marketer by day and at night I like to try a couple craft beers and especially local ones whenever we travel. I am not a BJCP judge, but that might change in the future. We shall see. And I'm happy to start learning about witchcraft and economics. I did not know that the two could possibly be intertwined, but here we are. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Christina, kick off. This is your, you know, your <laughs> specialist subject. She's <laughs> so excited. I, I'm, I'm really excited, guys. I have my, like, I have my Sanderson sisters, um, Hocus Pocus. It says the Black Flame Candle t-shirt on. I am ready for this. That's what that uh, was. I was sitting there going, is that a band I've never heard of? <laughs> no, it's it's the Black Flame Candle from Hocus Pocus. I was so I've, also, I've also got, for those I know just who, who are only listening, I've also got a, a Disney Halloween theme on. I've got Madame Leota from The Haunted Mansion. So keeping Disney Halloween, you know. I don't have a Halloween shirt on, but I did pull out my Halloween decorations, including <gasps> my little knitted pumpkin uh, behind me and a little bit of oh, lighting. Oh, wonderful. For those that are listening, I am very decked out in the Halloween right now. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, and we've got to be. We've got to do it all up. For those who don't know or people listening in the, the distant future where, you know, it's still the time of coronavirus, we're not quite locked down, but maybe we are. It's all a little bit unclear. So mm-hmm. we got to got to make our own entertainment at home. It's all. Yes. <laughs> it's all happening. So. Alewives, witchcraft, and economics. Yes. So last week we talked about, um, we basically, Lisa and I busted the stereotype that uh, alewives are somehow responsible for the modern witch stereotype, which they are not no. at all. It's a no. However, we're, there's, there's another side to that, which is that there, there might be a link between people who were accused of being witches during the witch hunts um, in early medieval, early modern Europe and late medieval Europe, and those who brood. And we're going to kind of look at that now. So as scholars like Bennett and Hester have argued, and we will put these links to all of these books, all of these scholars that I talk about, so you can do the research yourself. I highly recommend Judith Bennett's work on alewives in England. It is just, it is the an excellent starting point for any of this kind of research start there. Um, And I'm going to talk quite a bit about her and her research today. So as she has argued, it's really difficult to know whether alewives were accused of being witches because they were alewives or due to their poor social position, because we just don't have the, the evidence. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years later. But there, there, is a, there is a link, perhaps, in the language used to describe alewives and accused witches and the socioeconomic position of the two. These are remarkably similar, and we're, we're going to kind of talk about that. So, for example, um, Alan McFarlane uh, conducted a really in-depth study of accused witches um, from Essex, and these accusations dated from 1560 to 1680. And he only found one woman who, whose husband was listed as a beer brewer. But this doesn't necessarily mean that the other women weren't brewing. Mm-hmm. Because often, women were just absorbed under their husband's role. So if the wife was brewing or if they brewed as a couple, and that wasn't their primary income, then, the, then it would probably list the husband's full-time or other, other job, I should say, full-time right. is really a modern idea. Well, that makes idea. sense. So, so often it's not really particularly helpful. We don't really know 
um, because it's only listing their husband's occupations. Yeah. And when you're looking to, to add on to that a little bit, when you're looking at like, you, you know, the sort of pr- further professionalization of these different careers, not just brewing, but like baking is another good example. You start off with a fair few women who are in those professional guilds in the medieval period. And then there are fewer and fewer and fewer of them each year. And uh, but again, it's an interesting thing where it's it's not always clear because they're probably still doing it. They're just no longer sort of recognized as a professional, but they may have a husband who is or someone else in the family. But it's it's you can definitely see the numbers get smaller and smaller, although there are still clearly all through the medieval period, especially early modern women who are known to be brewers. You look at like um, especially sort of early early modern broadsides. They're all, you know, Mother Watkins Ale songs like this popular, you know, popular culture is all well, obviously that's what they're doing. But then again, you get this sort of tie, this, you know, this sort of tie up with, oh, they're there is a lot of crossover with that sort of like witch stereotype and uh you know there's kind of the woman who's a little bit of an outcast and there's there's a lot of the the venn diagram is sort of is sort of a weird one so there's a lot there's a lot there it's interesting when you say like as time goes on that it is less of a profession or you see less of them in the profession i wonder if that is just in the brewing area or across any sort of profession that you would find women in that brewing and baking are the two really big ones although what's funny is uh knitting kind of has the reverse where i was just going to talk about as a knitter yeah i was gonna say that's gonna be the stereotype right now of or just generally that it is just a homemaker's hobby old ladies do it but funnily enough it used to be you know they used to have guilds but they still do have Mm -hmm. guilds um but men used to knit all the time and world war ii and I don't really know what I'm talking about there, but I read some articles here and there. And it's just very interesting how stereotypes around what women traditionally do, how these stereotypes have come to be. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's just, there's so many layers to this. Um, to circle back to kind of what Lisa said about, you know, the, these rising ideas of misogyny around women who brew, like there's um, a very famous example um, is the tending of Eleanor Rumming. And she, it's a 1517, John Skelton wrote this poem. He was a poet and a priest and he had a vicious uh, misogynistic uh, bent, I will say. And the, the poem is about Eleanor Rumming, who, who might be based on a real woman um, who, was brewing, who was brewing ale. And it's, it's rather sad, actually. And he just spent this entire poem talking about how ugly she is. She's hideous to behold. You know, the ravages of time have, have, have just like just minute She's probably details. 34, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just horrible, horrible things. And, but not only is she ugly, she, she steals from her customers. She mm-hmm. adulterates her ale. One of the things that they say is, um, she uses hen's droppings to to mix into her ale. Um, she also is associated with sex workers. She's associated with witchcraft. She makes potions to get her husband to sleep with her. Um, so he finds her more attractive. And the hen's droppings is part of this, this tonic. It'll make you look younger, apparently. Oh. <laughs> yes <laughs> she blends this potion to make oh. herself look younger don't um, laugh until you try it that's all right? i'm saying 
Um, and uh, oh, so so here's here's the here's I found the quote um, that she brews the hen's dropping um, ale, and this potion makes her look younger. This works so well, she declared that she makes her husband foolish when they quote kiss and play in lust and liking. So, and then after their intercourse, she states that they then sweetly we lie as two pigs in a sty. (laughs) So, I mean, what could be better, right? Right. So he just keeps reiterating like her, her lewdness or his perception of her lewdness. And I think one of the most heavy accusations that he um, late, like throws at her is that she is associated. He she accepts payment from someone who was likely a witch, and that he he says, "quote The devil and she be sib." That she is she is sibling with the devil. So oh, okay, that's what that means. so. There are all of these sorts of accusations. Um, and, and to be clear, witches are very much associated with carnal lust. So I talked a little bit last week about the Malleus Maleficarum, the ham- hammer of the witches. And it declared, quote, to conclude, all witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is in all women insatiable. Oh, I mean. Bold assumption there, Cotton. <laughs> yeah, very, very bold um, and these ideas are in, in lots of different texts. So we have um, Bet in the Brewster and Pierce Plowman, um, John Lydgate's Ballad of an Ale Cellar. There's, there's even all the, uh, there's artwork that depicts alewives in hell. Um, we'll talk about this later in the whole alewives and demons episode because this is, there's a lot and it's, all, it's, it's quite funny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have alewives happily you know carrying their two pints in a wheelbarrow with a with a you know a demon just kind of wheeling them out which I mean, frankly sounds like a good time it sounds like a good time yeah. yeah she seems like she's having so much fun i don't know what they're trying to do with that <laughs> absolutely but uh yeah so there there is this this horrible misogynistic and and a lot of this a lot of fear about alewives cheating their customers which they probably did but so did everyone. And that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> but not necessarily like on purpose because so like in Ireland, for example, there are all these rules about how you have to, you know, how you can serve, you know, beer or ale and it has to be in a certain measure and it has to be covered and it has to be this, that, and the other thing, somewhat like our current lockdown. And, uh, and you know, if you're a poor alewife, well, where are you going to get these measures from? You're just yeah. going to serve what you have. Yeah. Now, uh, of course, there are people who literally like filled the bottom of their tankards with pitch and just completely ripped off their customers, you know, because all they're always people are going to do that. But like to be clear, like like Lisa said, circling back, all of these like anxieties about cheating were also lobbed at like millers and bakers and all any kind of like person that was making food there was a general distrust of all of these people um so so for example in john lydgate's poem put thieving millers and bakers in the pillory he basically says that millers and bakers should build their guild chapel underneath the pillory because all their members are going to end up there anyway (laughs) Yeah, and that's something you see straight through up till the 20th century when you start to get like clean food acts and you know things like that in you know right. both in Europe and America. But up until then, it's it's kind of kind of a free for all. So yeah, 
Yeah. And, and actually, that's an interesting point, too. When you, when you think of ingredients, and I know we're going to drill down more into kind of which of these ingredients might be witchier and which might be other things. In some cases, depending on where you are, again, the laws are so different everywhere. Uh, for example, later in Germany, I'm forgetting exactly when, but Christina may know, like women were not allowed to brew with hops, even though the earliest records we have of people brewing with hops are women. But anyway, we'll, we'll put that to one side. But male brewers were allowed to brew with hops, but not women. They could only brew other, you know, ladies' beers kind of kind of things, although there's a whole thing about that. And, That's interesting. Uh, so there's, there's this whole sort of um, hierarchy almost of who can brew what, and of course the, the more industrial stuff at the top is what the men are doing, and then there's all the other things that are kind of, oh, well, women can make that at home. That's okay. But it's, you know, what you can and can't sell is more and more heavily regulated over time. And then sometimes that all goes again, but it's... Uh, Again, depends where you are and when you are, but the ingredients and who's allowed to use what all kind of tie back into this suspicion around what am I getting and how can I, less around like protecting public safety or anything like that, and more around like, you know, I, I'm the dude in my town who's the ale tester. I get to control, you know, right. the supply. So, right. yeah, basically. And, and to be clear, there are some women who are like, fuck that shit. I'm doing yep. what I want. Um, there, there's a woman, Jillian, I believe her name is. And, uh, the, the bailiffs came to, to taste her stuff. And she was like, no, I brew what I want. <laughs> so, you know, there were definitely women who were just like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. No, no, no to you. I'm going to do what I want, which considering, you know, the laws of the time is like so incredibly brave. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I wrote a post about it on Breakatrix. I'll I'll link it. But yeah, I was just like, wow, you know, this, this is my woman. Like she was just like, no, 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 no. I'm going to brew what I want. Thanks. Bye. And that's knowing what your customers want again. Like it's, you know, if you're, if you have a reputation for brewing crap, people are eventually going to find out. And you know, I was going to say if they can get away with brewing whatever they want, then they probably have some people like on their side. They've got money going under the table somewhere. It's probably a wink, wink, nudge, nudge situation. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't particularly lucrative though. Like it, it sort of depends on where you were, but like a lot of brewing, particularly before the black death in England was just like a cottage industry. You're just brewing for your own household or for your neighbors. You're not making bank off of this. It's really like a woman's task. Men weren't really interested in it. Men only become interested in it after the black death. After we've done but, all the hard work. <laughs> yeah. Basically when, um, when the population shrank, but people were drinking more, more ale than they had ever drank before. They had more time off. They had more rights. And so men were like, Oh, there's money in this. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, now we want it. We, yeah, we want that. So we're yeah. just going to go ahead and take it. And that's kind of what they did. Gosh, I see that even now with some things. Like speaking of knitting, because that's what I do. I saw something recently and I'm just like, but you don't know what you're talking about. Why are you doing this? Glass escalator. Yeah. You know, men join women's fields and they go straight to the top. It's frustrating. It's it's very frustrating. Yeah, I can hear all my friends in museums and libraries just going, yeah, because that's, that is the classic for both of those fields. It's 100%. (laughs) Mm-hmm. All like 90% of your staff were female and then those guys at the top. Yep. 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 There they are. So yep. now there are always a couple who are really good, but then there's this other layer where you're like, oh. Average. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why are you here? How did you yeah. get here? Hmm. It's a baffling question. No one really has the answer to. Yeah, well, we be? know. But yeah, so so what we see is um, sort of the argument. One of the arguments is that 
since men started being interested in this, they, they wanted, they were competing with these women. And a lot of women who brewed were the most vulnerable people in the economy. So they're laboring women, they're poor, they're widowed, they're possibly older, they might have been sex workers, all which were already vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And now they were in competition with men for trade and money. This is not necessarily a great situation. And we know that women were overwhelmingly accused and murdered for witchcraft. Um, so the reliable figures in, in Germany, France, Switzerland, and Scotland are like 80% female. Mm. Um, England and Russia almost like 95 to 100% um, based on some scholars' information. Oh. I never thought about this is just me. I, I've never thought about Russia and witchcraft. I feel like that is a Wikipedia rabbit hole that's waiting for me <laughs> later tonight, and I'm excited. So send me some links. We'll post those. As oh, yeah, yeah. There's all kinds. There's, there's, some, there's some great folklore, too. You get into Baba Yaga. Oh, yeah. there's, a, there's all kinds of good stuff. Wait, he has Keanu Reeves, right? Baba Yaga? <laughs> no? <laughs> I thought Baba Yaga was so hot. Definitely. Yes. That's the thing. You see these themes. Yeah. There's, there's definitely themes. So you see this decreasing means of livelihood for women um, and increased impoverishment and dependence by lower class women. And this is known as the feminization of poverty. And the feminization of poverty is pervasive even now. Uh, Women make up the majority of poor. And and it's just always kind of been. And it's that is a rabbit hole. Um, I I would recommend diving down. It is enraging Hmm. and also enlightening. Absolutely. And per- perfect example is my, my son, who's 15, uh, for all this thing, and I'm straight into genealogy. The mom, he keeps you know, going down these rabbit holes. Well, you know, the partner dies, and then they get remarried right away. And I'm like, okay, well, that's because these women had no other options. They couldn't support themselves most of the time. You know, that was the only way they could feed their families or have a roof over their head. And he's like, but this was in like 1850. I'm like, yeah, no, it's mm-hmm. still, you know, a very, very, you know, modern thing, too. He was like, yes, that happens in you know, 1350, but also in 1450, 15, like it doesn't end. So, right. Uh, and you know, it's the thing, if, unless you look at it and you're like, oh, wow, they really got married. Like, you know, three weeks later to their cousin, oh, yeah. you know, or the wife's cousin or something. You're like, well, they were trying to keep a family intact or maybe yep. not, or maybe trying to usurp someone's uh, land. You know, there's money. <laughs> that was definitely in my family history as well. I, um, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I definitely know like that's really common. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And I, I just want a big caveat here that the, the pervasiveness of witch trials was not a completely pan-European idea. Yeah. So like Ireland wasn't super into it. And there are lots of scholars that have different arguments about that. One thinks that because um, England had already colonized Ireland, that the native Irish were the scapegoats, so they didn't really need another scapegoat in the form of, of witches. Uh, although we do know that women who ran taverns were accused of witchcraft, um, Alice Keitler, but that's mm-hmm. more likely because, you know, she had several dead husbands. And- she was getting her hands mm-hmm. on some money, so people were yeah. so, several so actually, dead husbands, you say. Yeah. Um, but this, this is actually almost, almost very similar to, these, to what we just talked about. She, she was competing with men and they didn't mm-hmm. like it. Um, so they, so they brought charges against her. So, you know, it says she has several dead husbands, but you know, she might've married older men. So it might've been really, you know, it might've made sense that they died. Um, she was competing with men. And so the men of the town took up these accusations against her. And then she, she did end up escaping. Unfortunately, her her maid, Petronella 
Petronella was unfortunately uh, whipped through the streets and burned at the stake in her in her place. Um, oh, that's not cool. So again, again, representing poor women are, are really mm-hmm. not able to escape the, these sorts of things. It's just, it's horrible. Um, and, and that took place in Kilkenny. Although you can still go to Alice Keitler's uh, pub in Kilkenny and have a, have a pint for Petronella in her memory. Poor Petronella. This episode yeah. is in memory of Petronella. Oh, yeah. Yes. She did not have a good time. Going out for yeah. our homie. Here, here. Yeah. Cheers to Petronella. Cheers. I feel so bad for her. Yeah, it pulls together all the different things about sexism and class. And, you know, it's all in one very unpleasant little little nugget there. Yeah. Oh, we do really know that men men absolutely lied to force women out of brewing. So um, an example is in 1413, Christine Colmier's business was completely destroyed when a, a man named Simon Daniel told all her neighbors she had leprosy. Oh. And in 1641, an unnamed widow who was brewing at the Ludlow Castle Garrison, she lost her entire trade when a male competitor spread rumors about herself and her business. Mm. Yeah, oh. and see, it could be that simple too, just, you know, poisoning the well, as it were. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, as I'm writing the book about Ireland, I just want to, Ireland is not necessarily the same here. Um, because they tried this stuff in Ireland to spread rumors about the women growing in Ireland. There was a, there was a man who wrote a book about this and I have to read more about my, this in my book, but he, he wrote a whole treatise and, and a big portion of it was devoted to, to alewives being, you know, being associated with all sorts of negative behaviors. And he had to write a retraction several years later because the people in Dublin were just not having it. They were, Nope. Nope. This is not true here. So again, this is not necessarily the case everywhere. Now, do you think, and this is probably, well, this, no, not probably, this is an entirely different rabbit hole, but do you think it comes from Ireland, at least, you know, pre-colonization having, you know, effectively a completely different legal system, different, you know, sorts of, uh, you know, just sort of different, I don't want to say castes, that's the wrong word, but sort of different classes within society. And it just would have been a different experience before, all the other stuff happens or do you think it's just sort of it just was different because it was different i think it was just different because it was different like when rich wrote his his book that i'm talking about i mean that was you know early modern period so Mm, so england had colonized for a while they had been there for a while and you know even the second colonization already happened because okay so england the the normans came over and Right. And they kind of went native, mm-hmm. um, which is, is the term that historians would kind of, they, they adapted Irish customs. They started dressing like Irish people, the native Irish. They intermarried with the native Irish. There's quotes from um, people basically saying that right. you couldn't tell the difference between the two. So at some point, England felt they had to sort of recolonize yeah. Ireland. Right. Um, and then really, really harsh 800 years as, as 800 years of colonization and you know oppression um That'll fuck and up. very very harsh oppression you know uh and speaking of rabbit holes that's a rabbit hole you probably oh, yeah. want to go down oh yeah um so I think it's just different in Ireland. Um, and I mean, that, that's the thing that I'm going to talk about in my book a bit, why this might be the case. Um, because there, there's definitely a tension between ethnicities. So you definitely see ale being associated with Irish people and beer being associated with, with um, English people and sort of the, the, how that works. Hmm. Um, now I have a question because you just said ale with Irish people and beers associated with English people, what is the, like, I would just assume that ale is beer. 
or is there something different? That's a really good question. I should have specified that earlier. So when we're talking about ale, we're talking about unhopped, um, Okay. What we would now know as beer, but unhopped. So okay. it might have it might have different bittering agents. So it might have bog myrtle. It might have nothing to that extent. Mm-hmm. There is some arguments with early modern Irish beer that it, it might not have those bittering ingredients in it. That because there is when Irish literati, which is to say that when Irish monks or people in that sort of um, literary cast mm. are on the continent, and this is early, early medieval, yeah. very early, they complain about how bitter the ale is to drink there. And so there is some argument from some scholars that some ale in early medieval Ireland was not, did not have any bittering agents. But of course, hops are not native to Ireland. So sure. they weren't using hops. Mm. Um, and then the introduction of hops is also quite contentious, right? <laughs> because there's evidence that it was quite early and then it just didn't, it just didn't, you know, catch on. People didn't weren't that on. keen on it. I, I think that hops were introduced in Ireland way before other people would think because the, we have evidence of hops in New York and we know that the Vikings were quite used hops and um, Scandinavian countries used hops. And we know that the Kings of Dublin were the Kings of York. Um, and so that there's, there's definitely ties between that. So I think that there's an argument that hops were introduced earlier, but people just weren't keen on them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the same thing in England. There is evidence that hops were introduced quite earlier, but they didn't really pick up until the later medieval period. And so there is a divide between beer and ale. Okay. And Lisa was earlier talking about, what kind of things women could brew women were really pushed out of beer brewing because it, it, it was primarily imported um, from immigrants from, from the low countries like Holland, things like that. And it was made by men. It was brewed by men. They trained men. They just completely pushed women out of beer brewing and ale was where they were left, but beer became more popular. So that's another way that they got pushed. But again, Judith Bennett really goes into in depth with that. I highly recommend her book. Yeah. And it, it's so funny if you look at that through a modern lens, where if we think of like the things we would think of as like a medieval gruet, where, you know, your bitter agents might be like you said, like bog myrtle or, or things like that, things that, you know, you don't commonly get now. Like you compare some of those to like a milkshake IPA. There's a lot of similarity with some really? of these things where you're just throwing it all in the can and hoping it doesn't explode basically. Um, which again, that we could talk about that for a long I was gonna, time. I was going to say, yeah. are there any like recipes laying around that we have any idea how they made these ales from yonder oh, yeah. back that ha- and have people tried to recreate it and taste <laughs> oh, it? Yeah. I'd like to try. It. I probably wouldn't like it. <laughs> yeah. It. Well, so I'm I in the before times before Corona, <laughs> before I I actually had a plan. I had a plan to make a a my interpretation of a Viking. Um, Irish hybrid medieval beer. Um, we were going to make it drinkable, so we weren't going to infect it deliberately. Um, most of the beer, a lot of the beer back then would have been likely a little sour for our tastes. Um, but there is some argument about that as well, um, especially if the beer is quickly fermented. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about like kvass or something like that, you could drink it quite quickly so you're not necessarily going to deal with all of those issues um yeah we have we have complete we have total societies built on uh creating and recreating medieval beers from all over um in ireland 
it's a little bit more speculative, particularly early beers, but the because the Irish um, spend a lot of time talking about the malt, but not a lot about the brewing process. So we have a lot of legal ease around uh, what kind of malt and the rules around malt and rules around malting. And we'll talk about that in another podcast. Mm. Um, but, but specifically that there are some parts and pieces that we can put together. So we know that they liked sweeter ale. We know that, you know, um, for example, like certain types of grain were associated more with the upper class. So that might have been put into a fancier beer possibly. Mm. Um, you know, we can kind of like put things together and then when we can look at, um, later English writers talking about Irish beer, they, you know, they're saying things like it's red. Okay, well, what does that tell us? And then we can kind of pull Work sort of things from that. We know that they were using yeah. oats to brew, for example, those kind of things. So we can kind of work backwards. But, you know, most medieval history, and I know a lot of historians are going to go, ah, about this, <laughs> is, 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 is speculative. It, it, a lot of it is a game of I have this thing and I have this thing and I'm going to put them together and I'm going to guess intelligently why that works and we're going to make meaningful conclusions based on this information and i'm going to say well likely this is because of this yeah i wonder too i i feel like there's you know there's certainly people looking for you, you know especially sort of um uh, brew or, or looking, trying to find the equivalent, if, if you like, of brewing records from monasteries and, and nunneries and things like that, where you, you do get some good things written down. But I wonder to what extent, and this is because I'm not up on my reading anymore, but there has been uh, real investigation into um, into medieval beer kind of at the archaeological uh, record level, because, you know, you can certainly get all the ancient stuff where you really do get people going in and doing real, like, hardcore chemical analysis on, you know, the vessels things would have been in, and that's, like, right. what, what Dogfish had, does when they partner with, for example, the Penn Museum to make all of their ancient ales, and I love their ancient ales series. I have posters of all of them in my house because I'm a giant nerd and used to <laughs> go to uh, Dr. Pat McGovern's uh, talks every year where he would go through the creation of those ancient ales and how they would basically go through like what they could analyze first and make something that was very true to that. And then everyone would taste it and be like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then adapt for the, the modern palate. But it's, it, you know, again, there, there's a lot of that at that sort of, you know, more prehistoric level, but probably less at the sort of early modern level. Like every now and then there'll be a shipwreck or something that someone finds oh. and then they'll uncork something and be like it's gross you're like okay well it's 300 years old yeah what's that what's the most recent one that's been in the news in the last couple years um i'm kind i used to be an antarctica nerd but um oh shackleton ernest shackleton uh uh his wreckage down there they had found a case of was it whiskey i think like that. I'm not something down there that they had pulled out and I think they reversed it. Like it still had the alcohol in there. I don't know if they opened yeah. it and they drank, but I think that they reverse engineered it to see what it would taste like. I'm not sure, but that sounds really cool. I've never heard about that um, ancient ales series. Highly recommend all of them. Very good. I'm going to have to look it up and find out yeah. some information because that sounds if they ever really interesting. Come over and do a series of events in Ireland, which they probably will not do anytime soon because of reasons and because they don't distribute here as far as I'm aware. They're so much fun. They, they do a great job going through like the, the science part and then the, the geeky brewing part and then the tasting part. So it's all, it's all really, really good fun and highly recommend as an experience. But it's, um, it's an interesting thing too, because you can certainly take when you find, you know, sort of preserved old yeast and, you know, wake it up and see if it'll still 
-hmm. if it'll still work because that's one of those things you do get in this sort of historic brew historic brewing circles of people who are like oh i had this old yeast and i've been propagating it forever but you still can't say how close it would have been to something that's you know mm. 400 years old you can make again some educated guesses but you know that yeast has evolved and done stuff even if it was from the same you know right. original source and the same with you know hops too especially like we don't really have a good idea of what 19th century hops were like even no. compared to 20th century we can read the descriptions but they've you know they're such a specialized you know it's yeah. such a specialized plant and the yield now is so much more than you would have gotten you know even yeah. 50 years ago we we don't Hard have old hops we just we yeah. don't have them <laughs> yeah I mean, so you know you can't you, you can only do so much to to recreate a brew exactly. they you might be interested lisa actually the more group it's an archaeology group um in ireland yeah. uh did did a um a recreation of a of an ancient I'll brew or what they believe to be an ancient brew yeah it's 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 kind of controversial because yeah. they, they they brewed with a folkfia method and that's definitely something that some mm. people are like no, no no that was just for cooking other people <laughs> are like well they probably used it for brewing because we do know hot stone brewing was a thing in other places sure. so yeah. it's likely that they probably did it here but you know you know yourself if there's something that happened in history there's two historians who will argue about it so Absolutely. And I will say there are not enough historians of brewing. Like it Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just a fact, there are not enough no. people to have the good arguments. And that's, you know, you know, I can probably count on one hand all the people. And we probably know all of them personally. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I think we do. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sad I, thing. And they're great. And, you know, but that, you know, you want to have a good argument about these things. It, yeah. It's healthy. It gets, you know. I think it would thinking. be so interesting if there was a recipe 
even a partial recipe saved that um, from the name of the, I'm blanking on it right now, but the name of the Irish brewer, uh, woman brewer that you mentioned here, that there's even a pub named after her. If there, we could recreate a beer that she maybe possibly could. Oh, like Alice Keitler. Mm. Yeah, and just re-engineer you don't know that it. You, yeah, no, and and that's 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 kind of on my list of things to do. So, <laughs> um, people listening to the podcast, watch this space because now I'm roping you into this, Sarah. So, Beer Ladies oh, Pod <laughs> is 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 gonna we're gonna recreate this brew. Um, once we can go to someone's house, we'll just, we'll make a homebrew version of it. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of throw something together. Um, since I can't do it with a, cause I had a full commercial brewery to do it before, but that's just mm. not any, looks like it's going to be anytime soon. No. Uh, but that's, that's the Viking beer. So we'll save that for them for the, hopefully the after times. And that could and, go for Christmas anyway, right? That would be perfect. You know, there's, we'll, we'll talk about them then. Yeah. Oh yes. We're going to talk way more about the Vikings later oh, yeah. because, because I love Vikings and really frankly, an excuse to talk about <laughs> is a good day for me. Um, but yeah, Sarah, we can, we can make an early modern, late medieval. I think that'd be so cool. Yeah. Be very cool. And, and the fun thing too, with that is you can talk, there, there are so many songs about early modern beer. You could just pick one and a lot of them would almost be recipes to a certain extent, but they're all really yeah. praising the particular brewer or brewster but it, it's often a woman in the, in those songs so it's interesting that even even though that was sort of um you know they were seen as sort of shady characters again kind of you know on the edge of society they're making good beer so people mm. still praise these you know these sort of not necessarily real people but they were probably you know, almost certainly based amalgamations on of exactly. several people into one character for sure Exactly. Really interesting. But we need to get it back to on the, the witchy element because right. the, oh, I yes, was thinking about the witchy element. Really I know. <laughs> this is bound to happen. <laughs> we can go on and on. But yeah, oh, yeah. got to stay on, you know, got to stay on, stay the course. Halloween. I'm a bad Circle host. back to the, to the witches. So, well, basically what we, we just don't know. We, it, it is likely, it is highly likely that women who brewed were accused of witchcraft by just by proxy of just being in the group that was most likely accused of of witchcraft they were poor they were single they were in sex work they were competing with men but whether they were accused of being witches because they were alewives is something that we're kind of like eh, yeah. i don't know it's likely because we know that men accused women to get them out of the brewing trade in other places so i i i would speculate that yeah it definitely happened um in england in england fair um in other places maybe probably continental places as well in ireland probably not yeah although there is too that other overlap with you know there's the sort of we'll say that the 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 village alewife is she also the village sort of cunning woman or the people who you know right People are going to her for, you know, your sort of folk magic, if you like. And oh, I was going to say, is a cunning exactly. woman the person, the lady that you go to to, like, read my te- my fortune, tell me what's going to happen? How do or I get she may just be fixing your, like, me? bad burn or... Yeah, you know. or your broken arm or, or things like that. Because for a while there, that kind of m- magical practice or, was, was perfectly fine, um, was okay. Like, uh, I'm just pulling in pop culture references, Claire Fraser from Outlander... She was, well, she was a modern day nurse, but then people oh. started accusing her of being a witch because they were like, I don't understand how you can do all this. She's a modern day witch, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And people go off like in weird directions too. Like if you, 
if you go full, like full the way down, uh, down the rabbit hole, like reading your like Clan of the Cave Bear stuff, go into your deep prehistory where it's all like that, you know, that the, the Mary Sue is doing all the magic to make everyone better with their, their, you know, hot healing skills. It's all, it's all sort of tied together. And, mm. and then they have all the sex, but that's a different, you know, <laughs> different story, but uh, that's so another podcast for another day. That's another podcast. Oh yeah. We could do some, we could do some dramatic readings of that. That would be good times, but <laughs> oh, but it's, you know, it's interesting where you do, there is this, you know, this huge corpus, if you, if you like, of sort of, you know, folk tradition in terms of whether it's magic with a K, magical practice, or these were just, you know, healing traditions. And especially if you look, you know, England and Germany have really strong traditions of this kind of thing. But again, it's, it's these same women, I think, who were probably brewing, who were probably baking, you know, doing this, these sort of cottage industries, but they're also the ones who are going to, you know, they're having, going to have other skills, but then because they're in this sort of vulnerable position society-wise, they get accused of things, even though they're just there to help, like no one else is doing it, so. Yeah, and, and it's another thing to keep in mind, you know, when we talk about people who are accused of witchcraft, we're, we're always like, oh, you know, this was complete bullshit. None of these people were actually practicing witches. That's not necessarily true. I mean, some of these people were, were practicing witchcraft. Witchcraft is not a bad thing to practice. You know, magic magic practice is, is a centuries, millennial old tradition, and some of these women were keeping possibly keeping up traditions that have been passed from their, their grandmothers and their mothers and, and these sorts of things. So it's not to say some of these women weren't practicing witchcraft. Uh, uh, and some of them we do know based on what the church was saying, because they said, oh, you know, like they could fly. And, and what we talked about in the last episode, yeah. oh, yes, I could fly in my room. And the church was like, no, you can't. That's a hallucination brought on by the devil. You cannot fly. But, you know, they thought they could. So there, there are definitely, you know, people who, who were practicing magic. Yeah, and, and there's such a tradition, too, if we're looking at that this time period, and, and even up into the 19th and early 20th century, like, you have your holy wells, you have, you know, there are all kinds of things that are imbued with sort of whatever the folk tradition is. And, and again, you, you'll see it wildly overstated in a lot of ways. And a lot of this is because of uh, Margaret Murray, who was a pioneering archaeologist, but also a little bit bonkers, where she went, like, full out on this sort of, you know, mother goddess. These are all traditions, you know, carried through from early prehistory. There's no actual evidence that there is this, you know, one tradition carried through. Like, but again, it doesn't mean there weren't generations of people with their own local tradition that they weren't, you know, they weren't practicing and that didn't, you know, inform their, uh, either their beliefs or, or how they, you know, brought healing to people or, you know, brewed beer. All these things were all tied up together with, you know, this sort of mix of, again, sort of folk magic, if you like, and just practicality. Like people just had to get through the day. And as we're seeing, you know, when you've got a pandemic, you're like, I just need to like, I just need to do a thing to get through the day. Imagine that when you have like no electricity and, you know, no phone. It's uh, And I would say that even, that is definitely still a thing here in modern day Ireland, whether or not people really like to admit it. It's like, even there's local areas that people will or will not go to if there's Mm -hmm. a, a fairy ring fort. And you don't have to believe in fairies, but people will not touch them. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, even my in-laws will, you know, there's some well where you can go stick your finger in and it'll get rid of your warts. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, if, if you, like, what's the harm in believing in it? First off, I don't really care, but it's just very interesting that some of those things have held on to modern day times. And sometimes people even know where they began these, these little things. 
I think often people are really quick to dismiss um, magical practice and, 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 and this sort of, you know, witchcraft as, as something ridiculous, but you know, it's not, it's, it's not at all. It is a very legitimate practice. And it's funny because I mean, Christian, Christian mythology um, also has a, a strand of beer in particular associated with beer and wine associated yep. with magical practice, and, you know, and so magical healing. Yes, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, and and even Saint Bridget over here in Ireland was turning water into beer, mm-hmm. um, so she could honor Easter for 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 her for her belief system, right. and and she turned water into beer and, to give to her her stepmother, and that healed her. So yeah. you know, beer was used in Christian magical practice, and 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 I mean Viking magical practice as well, and and in magical practice even now. Um, I mean, gosh, that's magic with a K. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, well, I, we were talking about magical and pagan beliefs and everything. I mean, Halloween, Christmas, Easter, these holidays yeah. are around pagan holidays. Exactly. So. Exactly. I, I, I will say, and this is a complete tangent, almost a complete tangent, but I once accidentally gained the power of turning water into gin. And I didn't mean to. I was at a friend's hen party. It was very late at night and I would go and, you know, get water for people and I would put it down. And I would pick it up again, and it had turned into gin. And I, oh. I have, I have no idea what happened. I was going on, going. I don't want this power. What's happening? Well, I would have to say, no. Like for the the listeners out there, you did have a black cat cross your path several I times behind know. you a while I ago. I did. <laughs> Are it's you true. aware? So maybe maybe it'll come back. It, it was only the one night, but I will say the the bride was not in a good shape the, the next day. But, oh dear. Uh, but then my power was gone. So who knows? I think they're still married, so hopefully it's all good. <laughs> it's a long good. time ago. It must have been some good gin. Oh, man. I ordered uh, Black Distillery's spiced apple gin and their blackberry liqueur. It's in their October box. Oh, that sounds <gasps> lovely. I am so excited. Spiced apple gin just makes oh, me I happy. Oh, I do like good gin. Spiced yeah. apple anything. I just want to oh, like, I know. Yeah, normal. and folks, there's a lot of good Irish gin. Like, I had no idea before moving here that there was so much good gin. You yes. know whiskey, obviously. Oh, yes. But the gin is so good. And, you know, oh. a lot of my American friends, in the before times, when they could come <laughs> and visit, um, and they were tourists, they were, A, shocked that gin and tonics came in those beautiful balloon glasses. And I'm like, <laughs> it's how else would you drink gin and tonics? It's gorgeous. Yeah. You feel so fancy. But also that there is a very thriving craft gin um, industry here. And it's not like, it's easy to understand. It's, um, it's quick to make, isn't it? I've never made it, but I don't think it's as difficult as other things to distill. Yeah. So like a lot of whiskey distilleries start out with gin. That's sort of our first thing. And, and they're so different there mm. there are so many different flavor profiles with gin which is why i really like it yeah sort of like craft beer they don't really you know you and all different things and it's sort of you know you, you oh but if i put this in it and i put this in it it'll mm. put it it'll bring this out in the gin and if i put this in and i put this in it'll bring this it's so fun i just and love even gin. the yeah. tonic water the tonic water can get really yeah. fancy and it can, fancy. it's just so nice it's a it's a really nice luxurious luxurious cocktail to enjoy so I definitely recommend for anybody who can to try as many Irish gins as you can, just because Absolutely. there's such a variety. Absolutely. You'll find and something they're gorgeous. That you like. They're gorgeous. They do yeah. make amazing gin here. I Very I've, accessible price-wise. Like you're not going to yeah. have to like pay a ridiculous amount of money. You get something really good for really reasonable yeah. amount of money. Very yeah. reasonable. Very, yeah. very reasonable. Yay, Irish gin. 
I mean, obviously whiskey, <laughs> but yeah, Irish gin. Hey, we're not and limited beer. to just we're not limited to and just beer. talking about craft beer here. We could talk about anything if we wanted to. Exactly, we can talk about all of the things, it's all the delicious things to drink. Oh, and there are so many. So, do, do we want to tell some some spooky beer stories? I yes. would love to hear. A Let's tell beer story. spooky beer stories. So I'll tell the one I know, the the one I know best. I'm I'm making sure I'm I'm looking at my phone to make sure I get dates right. But uh, I grew up in St. Louis, which is a bad place. But anyway, we'll we'll put that to one side. But obviously, you know, beer there, Um, you know, not just not just Anheuser-Busch, but back in the day. I mean, the reason that the, that the Germans moved there in the first place is that there are caves underneath the city. And I have a whole thing that I've written in the past about uh, German-American brewing and what it was like before Prohibition. And then there's a whole thing we could get into about how Prohibition was just super racist and all that, all that good stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's always, it always comes back to either, like, horrible dudes or super racist or one of <laughs> the Super racist. Both. Yeah, both. <laughs> Usually both. both. the Venn diagram <laughs> Races. Yeah, exactly. It's a circle. Yeah, the circle of they took our jobs. But anyway, <laughs> not to one side. But uh, one of the biggest breweries, in fact, that it was the biggest brewery in the world for a long time before her pro- pro- prohibition was the Lemp Brewery. And in fact, only a few weeks before we recorded this, part of the Lemp Brewery collapsed because it's been sitting vacant effectively since prohibition and has not been in any way looked after. You know, anyway, but there are caves underneath the brewery. There was a swimming pool. There was a stage because the Lemps were all deeply strange people. Which we'll, we'll start there. And you could, you know, they were a weird family. You know, they were very, very wealthy. You know, they're living in, uh, you know, they're living in a place that's not super sophisticated. You know, it might have been more then, but anyway, I'm biased. I'm, I'm wearing my biases. So, but anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, the, the Lemps were, you know, had, some of the, they were very very wealthy had some of the biggest brewers in the world but then uh, in fact they sort of brought sexism into beer advertising in the yeah. early early 20th century thanks because, for that i know thanks guys uh but uh that one of the younger sons uh created this uh what was a scandalous uh campaign at the time where it was a woman revealing her high button shoe and it said even women drink lemp beer and then he suddenly dropped dead like age of like 26 and this is what starts it all going wrong for the family. This is still pre-prohibition. So he was kind of like the one who was groomed to be the heir, you know, taking it over. And this is, uh, I want to say that part is in like, I want to say he dies around the time of the First World War. I should look it up. But anyway, <laughs> he dies. You know, his dad takes it very poorly. And people in the family start killing themselves all over the place. Like every five or ten years, another one of them will kill themselves, usually oh. in the family home. And so it's, you know, very depressing, very dark. Like these are clearly people who were very, very, very wealthy, but just couldn't get it together for a variety of reasons. Prohibition comes, they effectively lose everything. You know, they're still actually very wealthy, but, you know, the brewery sitting there mothballed, you know, they're getting nothing from the government from it. They get, you know, six cents on the dollar, something like that. Thanks. You know, obviously that this is not great. Another one of them kills themselves. So by the end of it, the father, one of the sons, and the daughter who was who was then married to someone, um, and for a while they thought it was like a murder, but uh, she also killed herself. So just this whole family tradition of uh, people being depressed, people committing suicide. So sorry, we should have said trigger warning, but lo- lots of, you know, death, despair, bad things. But after that, the the brewery... And, and the house just sort of sat vacant for a long time. 
the 1970s, they start to revive these things. Now you can go and stay in the former family home and it's like a whole like ghost adventures kind of thing, which is super Ooh. cheesy and whatever. But if you want to do it, cool, fair play, all, all good. But the ghost stories associated with the house and with the brewer are actually sort of much creepier than the ones that kind of get get aired on TV. Like they say that um, there's a face that looks out of some of the windows. There's a story, again, mm. very sad that potentially there was, there was a disabled child who was kept home and was like never Aww. allowed out and he might be one of the faces people see one of the uh one of the uh lemp's wives was divorced uh was divorced you know if i'm for people listening i'm making the now you have to leave gesture <laughs> she was sort of kicked out of the house very acrimonious divorce which in 1906 was Oof. a very hard yeah, thing definitely you know, come back from but people see her uh often in the house or smell her perfume and her uh, her horses too are sometimes heard or even seen in what was the former uh, stable yard there. So there's all kinds of creepy stuff going on even now, sort of around the brewery, around the house. And you know, yes, you can go to the house and maybe get some some jump scares. But there's also, um, you know, I've been around it a couple of times. There's there is like a real atmosphere. And for a while, there was a really nice little brew pub in their former stables. And that place too had a like really creepy vibe to it, but oh, the yeah. good kind of creepy vibe. And you're like, you know. I bet they looked after the horse as well, even if they weren't good at peopling. They were like <laughs> really good at, you know, keeping your brewing horse, your brewery, uh, brewery horses like in good shape. So I've told a story that didn't make much sense, but there's a ton of stories related to the lamps. You can go watch the stuff, you know, on YouTube, but dig into the family history. It's actually really, really interesting and really, really sad. But there's also all of this stuff. There's tons of recipes out there. There's, again, primary sources, all these things that no one has ever really picked up and tried to redo there'll be the odd sort of oh maybe we should replicate one of their beers here and there but you know otherwise no one's really looked at these things that were kind of um late 19th early 20th century there's just a sort of like oh they all made german beer whatever it's like but you know it could have been really interesting we that could be a this. serious like that could be a thing if you pull there out some of those recipes try them if they're good you could do a whole like spooky halloween like limited edition release like, around yeah, it and, and, and you know it's also like how come most of the good most people see are the women like what's going on there like what's that about um there's also a ghost dog some people Aww, see a ghost so dog. all kinds of things but I, i'm always here for like the ghost uh, the ghost horses and uh wagons too because i'm like oh that's a lot of stuff to like have to bring through your uh your veil between worlds like <laughs> guys you know so really making just an have questions there, about the mechanics yeah, you know? kudos. yeah well exactly it's like well done well done and uh, it's, it's funny too because it's only a few blocks away from where the Clydesdales live now in the big oh, wow. Anheuser-Busch complex which is still steaming away but they yeah. sort of you know picked up all the pieces when they didn't have competition anymore so yeah. it's it's this very sort of you know sad story of what could have been but also like fascinating that this stuff is all still sitting there effectively mothballed no one's done anything with it for, you know, a hundred years at this point. Like it's such a, you know, it's also just a sort of example of like really poor city planning and a lot of other things <laughs> yeah. tied with it, but it's also really interesting social history that no one's really properly unearthed. And, uh, you know, if people are making money doing their ghost adventures, good. I'm all for that. I love a good ghost tour, but like, I'd love to see someone dig into it a little, a little yeah. further, yeah. you know, have a real, really interesting. Yeah. yeah, a real look at like, what was going on? What, you know, what, what, what was happening with all these wives? What, what about the advertising? Who was in on it? Like there's, there has there's to so be much to more unpack. to the story yeah. to explain things exactly. a little further. For exactly. sure. That's so interesting. Huh. Exactly. So that's one. 
sure yeah. you guys have others. I, I have, I have, I have Ooh. one. Tell us more. Um, tell us more. So, so the reason I love this story so much, one of the, one of the reasons is because it, it's like, it, it, it's a medieval story Ooh. and, and I love it because it describes the evening as a dark and stormy night. So, it, <laughs> which just makes my little horror loving, ha- ha- uh, horror loving heart so happy insert clap of thunder now right like as soon as you read this and it does just seem like you know like the thunder would be going like oh it just it just makes me so happy just it just sets a mood if we will oh that's fantastic so it was a dark and stormy night at a nunnery oh excellent even better and one of the sisters was laying in her bed And she was trying to sleep, and she couldn't. And she heard people calling her name over and over again. And lo and behold, her two best nun friends appeared in her room, and they were calling her name. And at first, this seemed okay. And then in her slightly sleepy mind, it occurred to her that, oh, this is weird. We don't talk at this nunnery. We've all taken a vow of silence. Why are they talking to me? <laughs> they must be demons. Oh, uh-oh. And they called and they called her, beckoning to go downstairs to the brewery and drink the beer. Oh. Come down, come down, come down. Come down and drink with us. Come down and drink with mm. us. Come and at this point... Come drink with us. <laughs> and at this point, she's terrified because, you know, they don't talk. These are demons trying to lure her into drinking the, the beer that the, that the nunnery produced. And so she did what children and scared people have done since time immemorial. She took a blanket, shoved her, it over her head, <laughs> waited. Because you know the rule, if they can't see you... They can't see you if you can't see them. You're disappeared. Your blanket just makes you completely invisible. So she just waited it out till the next morning. But that is how she encountered the demons that were trying to get her to drink drink the ale with them in the middle of the night. Um, and I think that story is just delightful. I love that story. Oh, that's and, awesome. And of course, it was told back in the medieval context to be kind of like a, a warning story of, you know, what you shouldn't do. But frankly, I would, I'd be going down there. I want to see what yeah. this is about. Drink well, beer with- <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because the, the rules, as, as you say, around medieval ghosts are very different, like to modern ones, because a lot of times they couldn't do anything until you talked back to them or like you had to acknowledge them. But usually you Interact. had to like, yeah, you had to like command Invite them to Invite them or, in. Yeah. Or, well, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. That, that yeah. kind of idea. Yeah. But um yeah, you had to you had to do something, and then usually they would tell you something very sort of depressing about oh, I, I need you to go deliver some money to someone I cheated, or you know, th- like you had to do something so they could be released. But these ghosts sound like more fun. I, I like these yeah. ghosts. They, yeah, uh, they're definitely, ladies. definitely yeah. more of the de- demonic bent. But you yeah. know, anyone that is like, hey, you know, it just reminds you of Practical Magic, Midnight Margaritas, and I'm like, <laughs> you could have missed. She missed out on a hell of a party down there, right? Yeah, Sounds like a good time to me. Especially yeah. if you can't talk in the nunnery. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and again, like there's a whole thing we could dive into too on like like nunneries. Like these women had power. They were, you know, they were like top echelon of society. Like they were 
doing stuff and we don't talk about it we talk about like the men over off doing their monk stuff but but like the women i know it's always it's always there's a subreddit about men monks drinking beer on beer labels like where's the nun drinking beer oh okay you know what lisa we're gonna have to do an episode on nuns drinking beer we should do nuns yeah we'll do nuns okay guys you've heard it here we're gonna (laughs) do nuns Talk about nuns. Yeah, my 12 years of Catholic education are going to finally come to fruition. So Yeah. Oh, we can talk about Hildegard von Bingen. Oh, and she is awesome. Like, she, you know. She's 13 years she's fantastic. of Catholic education. You probably, you, you know more than me. It's okay. I've forgotten it all. It's all, it's all gone. <laughs> I know. It's, it's locked away in a little secret room in my brain. I don't know. It just has a thing where, like, every time I watch The Exorcist, I'm like, this is really funny. And oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, speaking yeah. of The Exorcist, I had my senior year in high school, was it my senior year in high school? Yeah, we did a, one of my, one of my theology classes, we had this guy, he was a really nice guy, who um, was our theology teacher, and he would, he made us listen to the tapes of the, ex- like, of exorcisms oh. in class terrifying also followed up by his own experience with a demonic possession what also terrifying (laughs) whether or not you believe it it was still kind of like this is creepy now i'm going to lunch so (laughs) (laughs) how do you how do you come back from that oh yes you know here's a demonic possession next class oh yeah here's your test on you know english verbs like basically (laughs) now we're going to chemistry gonna fail that chemistry test i'm thinking about this exorcism that's amazing i i I for a while was collecting like weird lps of of exorcisms and like uh sort of casting out demons all, all that stuff and i've got them like on vinyl somewhere but there's some <laughs> that is like mixes of some of those are bonkers so vinyl is very record. niche that's very <laughs> niche very nerdy <laughs> i'm liking it whenever we're coming over i'm here for it i'm here for it you know we don't in. we don't have a turntable right now so oh man hopefully by the time we're all released back into the wild when we do our halloween party even if it's yes. like in july whenever we'll, yeah we'll have a turntable and we can listen to some of these because that just yeah. sounds cool yeah, that does sound there, really cool i'm Creepy, sure i have something cool. like transferred yeah. to some sort of digital format by now i've got to we around. do that during the daytime though because <laughs> i'm kind of no <laughs> we're gonna wake you up in the middle of the night <laughs> oh no i don't like it and i just told you my horror story from last night where i had sleep paralysis but oh, terrify sarah sleep paralysis is no joke man no that's what, like when you see like the weird hags and stuff that's a that's a whole Ooh. thing it is a whole thing. Half the stories on like Reddit no sleep or someone having sleep paralysis oh, and they yeah. still scare me so much. I stopped reading it because it's too scary. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what's interesting about it is like what is it that makes the human brain be like there's a person in the room and they're staring mm. at me and or like you know threatening me. Like what is yeah. it about yeah. that that tries to make it like be like this is why you have to wake up. Like that's a scenes are weird. Yeah. So weird. We really got off topic, but I'm yes. okay with it because I'm really enjoying where we've gone. It's still spooky. It is. It's still spooky. Kind of bring it back to beer. Yeah. Let's see. There must be other haunted, well, certainly haunted pubs. Although, although I, I've noticed, I've been trying to do a little bit of uh, digging. I'm not finding people who are, want to be forthcoming about haunted Dublin pubs, but I'm sure, like the Gravediggers, I think has a story. And oh yeah, the Gravediggers has. Then got to be more. Also, could you imagine that ghost? 
coming back to be like, oh, I'm going to haunt my favorite pub. I've always sat there with a pint of Guinness in my hand. And what are these tourists? What is this thing <laughs> called Instagram? What's going on? I don't like this anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's an interesting one because I've got a couple good haunted London pubs books oh, going back over, gosh, probably 80 years or so because I collect them like normal people do. Um but there is, you know, there is this consistent one of, there's, there's one, I forget the name of the pub, I'll have to look it up, but consistently they have a landlady, ghostly landlady, who is still pissed off about whatever the technology of the day is and will make it like break, <laughs> whether they get like a new like point of sale system or before that when they got like a fancy cash register, she'd be like, uh-uh, wasn't having it. There would be... None of this. Yeah. There'd Pen be and paper. Ghostly, Come on, guys. Ghostly <laughs> shenanigans. And, you know, anytime they put in anything new and they'd be like, well just trying to run a business and then she'd like chill out once she understood they were trying to like do good by the pub but it sounded like she was just not yeah she was not having it so oh man i bet there's some really crazy stories about ghosts ghosty pubs in london that you have there are some good ones there but there's got to be a ton here there must be yeah that's the thing for anyone who's listening to this if you have stories about ghostly pubs in dublin or in ireland let us know them in um you know maybe you want to come on and talk about them and or we can read them out so absolutely let let us know i would love to know about all of these (laughs) i would love to know the socials we're on the socials guys we are on the socials tweet at us whatever you know i just would love to hear yeah, and I've had a couple of people say, you should write them in a book. I'm like, I will if someone gives me some stories. I'll, you know, I, <laughs> I need I, the stories. I'll find the publisher. Just start sending me some stories. I'll keep going from there. But if you guys can get me some stories, I'll, uh, I, I will be very, very uh, respectful. I'll change your names if you want. All good. No one has to know. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, so circling back for our overarching theme of the day, which is Alewives, Witchcraft, and Economics. Were alewives accused of witchcraft? Probably. Were alewives accused of witchcraft because they were alewives? I would argue, in some cases, I I would believe that it certainly happened in certain countries, probably not in places like Ireland, but sure, in England, maybe, or Scotland. These things are likely given given the arguments put forth by by Bennett and, and, and others. So the moral of the story is we don't really definitively know. I can't sit here and tell you yes or no. I can say based on the information of what I've read and what other scholars have argued that I would say that it certainly was likely to have happened in in some instances. But was it sort of a widespread campaign against people just because they were allies? Eh, I don't know, Lisa, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would say probably not. I mean, we can certainly see them, as we talked about, being kind of forced out of the professional ranks over time. But again, it doesn't mean they stopped brewing necessarily. Exactly. It just means that their status became less secure. So that's, we see that in a lot of other professions. So I'm sure in individual cases, that kind of mm-hmm. set them up for, uh, you know, not necessarily a great experience. But again, whether they believed that they were, you know, had any kind of magical powers or, or that just that they could, you know, help people out through their profession we don't know exactly we can tie it to some folk traditions but uh there's a lot of work there for someone to dive into we're gonna keep coming back to that absolutely Absolutely. so so sort of to sum up we don't know we (laughs) think that possibly individual cases it's likely that there were certainly individual cases because you know in thousands and thousands of people inevitably you know (laughs) well yeah we can sum it up with how you end every archaeology or sort of early modern history paper with more research is necessary. Is <laughs> more research is needed. <laughs> 
Yeah. And, and yeah, perfect. <laughs> oh, that is excellent. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. And that was an, I think that was a very enlightening episode of this edition of the Beard Ladies podcast. I'll close out and just say, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at Beer Ladies Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at Beer Ladies Podcast as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys next time. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy season. <laughs> <laughs>